But the way that we think about ultimately building a stack is a concept, not only the data pipeline, but a concept known as data recycling. And that's the fact of instead of having one sort of truth for all of your data, basically what you're trying to do is mirror your data across as many systems as possible. So that way you can leverage as much data as you can across the entire stack, the entire stack, the entire stack. Hello, hello. This is Alex Glenn, your host of the Marketing Automation Discussion. Welcome to another episode packed with actionable advice on what to do with your tech stack. My guest today is none other than Dan Maga. Dan is the CEO and founder of FN Amazing. He is the CEO and founder of the National Association of Marketing Technology. He is the CEO and co-founder of UTM.io. And he was a growth mentor for 500 startups. But what Dan is for us, he is the presenter of what I found to be the most actionable presentation around marketing technology. Dan and I go into depth with regards to the 21st century stack and the components within it. Hint, it's much larger than you think. I've been a huge fan of Dan's for quite some time now, but we finally got a chance to meet while Dan was giving the very presentation that this show is about, which we will link in the show notes. I will let Dan introduce himself in a moment, but today he is going to lay out the groundwork for all of you listening in how to build the proper technology stack for your marketing initiatives. Integrated, powerful, seamless. We discuss analytics, data enrichment, sales automation, tagging, lead scoring, and much more. Remember, all of this is in a video. If you head to automated.af, the link in the show notes, and you can watch the slides roll by as Dan talks. But without further delay, let's welcome Dan to the show. Welcome to the Marketing Automation Discussion. Here's your host, my dad. All right, Dan. Well, why don't we start with your bio? What's going on in Dan's world? Yeah, so I'm Dan McGaugh. I'm the CEO founder of FN Amazing and UTM.io. Um, I've been in the marketing space for about 20 years now, so I have a long history of working inside marketing. But typically, the view of the world that I have is really from the marketing technology and marketing analytics front. So had a lot of experience working on those fronts. Some people remember me in my days when I was a head of marketing at Kissmetrics. Some people remember I was responsible for growth at Code School, but just worked at a bunch of different places. And now with and Amazing, we get to do that as an agency. Yeah, and I've been a huge fan of yours for quite some time now, but finally got a chance to meet you while you were doing the presentation that we're going to actually do today on the show about the evolution of the MarTech stack and the actual formalizing of a stack that you can then use in your business. So we're going to give you some really tangible, actionable advice on this episode. And Dan is the ideal person to do this. So the first thing I want to do, Dan, is give it back to you to give us the lay of the land, sort of the evolution of MarTech. So spend a, a couple seconds here just refreshing everybody's memory on where we're at today with MarTech and why we're there. Yeah, great question and great points to talk about. MarTech has really grown, I mean, exponentially over the past eight to 10 years. I mean, don't get me wrong. Marketing technology has been around since the 90s when I got my start in the whole entire stack. But back then, there was really no kind of tracking of it. There wasn't really a lot of stuff going on. There was only a few players really in the space. But back in 2011, Scott Brinker from uh, Chief MarTech started really tracking the industry 
uh, and seeing where it was going. And back in 2011, they said there was about 150 different MarTech tools. And since then, I mean, things have basically nearly doubled every single year since. So if you fast forward to 2013, there was over 350 tools. Fast forward even to 2016, there was over 3,500 different tools. And when you think about last year, 2018, there was roughly 6,800 different marketing technologies out there. And this spans the gamut of analytics tracking to marketing automation to CRMs to advertising networks, even specific warehousing that allows you to store your marketing data to some of the newer tools that are coming on the market, more centered around customer data platforms and customer data infrastructures. And it's been really fascinating to watch this kind of industry grow. And it's just because there is so much more competition and more technology coming out to be able to solve smaller and smaller problems. Um, but what's been most fascinating to us is that coming into 2019, when they did the landscape, is that there was really only around 7,040 tools. So we kind of have seen this little bit of a taper off uh, from what they were measuring. Now, even though it sounds like we've been growing like crazy and we've hit the ceiling now, what really was identified was is that the technology hasn't necessarily stopped growing. It's the fact that they are no longer just individual tools that work in their own kind of silo and with their own data. The growth that's happening now is a little harder to track in the fact that people are building on top of other platforms. So you might think of Salesforce. Salesforce, of course, has the App Exchange. There's over 3,000 different apps that live inside of the App Exchange that make money off of integrating in with Salesforce. And Salesforce's App Exchange generates a billion dollars in revenue for those companies. But the same thing is happening when you think of Shopify and when you think about many of these other platforms like Magento um, and even Marketo has its own app exchange. The, the big proliferation that's happening right now is not so much in standalone tools, but the tools that you would install into another platform, uh, which is really, really fascinating to see. But with that all being said, there has been so much growth that we're starting to kind of reach what's known as like the local maxima or even the local consolidation where we have this peak of tools uh, where we're at the highest point, right? There's like 7,000, 8,000 tools right now. But because there's so many tools, what's happening is the bigger companies are now stepping in and starting to acquire many of those companies. Uh, you've seen people like Visible who got acquired by Marketo. Then you saw Marketo get acquired by Adobe. You then saw Adobe by Magento and all of these different tools. And most recently, Tableau was acquired by Salesforce and Looker was acquired by Google. And this is a constant thing that's going to happen because as these companies get so big, they can no longer do their own innovation. They need to acquire to innovate. But not only is that happening because it just can and these companies are so big, the economy is doing good, but very, very soon the economy is not going to be doing nearly as well. We've already seen global uh, shakeups a little bit. Argentina's stock market just crashed. Um, and ultimately what's going to happen, just like every other kind of cycle, is there's going to be some sort of natural recession. Investment dollars will dry up. Dollars from revenue will dry up. And then what happens naturally is companies start to one either fail and just basically disappear, or they start to fail and they get sold at a fire sale to another company. And that's really the phase that we're headed into next. And my prediction is kind of around the time of spring 2020, you're going to start to see the consolidation happening from an acquisition standpoint at a very, very fast rate. Uh, we've already been seeing a ton of companies get acquired. However, after that springtime, we're actually going to start to see a lot of these companies not be able to raise their next round of funding. You're going to start to see companies which aren't able to make the ends meet and end up selling themselves to other companies. And then we expect that transition to happen over about a three-year period. In between 2020 and 2023, you'll start to see this entire evolution changing. Um, so the, the industry is definitely going through a lot. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we're starting the National Association of MarTech just because the industry is roughly an $80 billion a year industry. So there definitely needs to be some kind of tradition and governance and things like that. 
but it is just the wild, wild west still when we think about the marketing technology landscape. Hashtag stack apocalypse, I believe. <laughs> that's what I've been yeah, that's perfect. Okay, so uh, now that we are all on the same page, a lot of noise, a lot of competition, a lot of acquisitions, uh, a lot of attempted consolidations, a lot of failures. The stack is a, uh, a minefield and, and the tools inside, you know, they could be potential landmines in your stack. So, you know, what you don't want is to jump on board with a tool that's not going to be around next year. So what I liked about this presentation is not only that you laid the groundwork for what is going on and where we're at, but you actually gave us some very tangible advice and very sound advice and some actual players that uh, you would recommend to be included in this dream stack. When we talk about the stack, what are we talking about, Dan? Are we talking about, you know, everything from soup to nuts, from back end to front end? I mean, what would you call a stack? Yeah, and that's a really good question. I mean, I think the, the hard part for most marketers to understand is that the stack is really huge. And it's probably including tools that they aren't even prepared. And the way that we kind of define a marketing technology stack is any single tool which is used to either store, process, or manage customer data. And the reason why I say that is because your customer's data is the most valuable asset your organization has. And at the end of the day, that customer data is ultimately what's going to be used for marketing. So when you think about personalization, well, that's your customer data. When you think about your reporting, that's your customer data. When you think about targeting and you think about segmentation or you think about being able to communicate, it all requires your customer data. So we do really think that organizations should really open their eyes to understand that all of their customer data is considered to be marketing. And that is really something they need to take into consideration. So Gmail, Naturally, that's a piece of marketing technology. It enables me to be able to communicate with my customers and my prospects to do stuff. Now, in my my uh, stack, I also consider Google Sheets to be part of my marketing technology because I have a Gmail connected. I have my Gmail connected to Zapier. So if I add certain uh, people to that email, it will automatically start storing the emails that are a part of it, of that, and that stores it into the Google Sheet. The Google Sheet is then connected to Zapier to send that into another tool that will end up setting them up for personalization. So what happens is anywhere that I'm storing my customer data becomes part of my marketing technologies. Even in our world, we think about tools like Wistia, which are our video streaming tools, be part of our stack. Obviously, A-B testing tools like Optimize VWO, WordPress, which is part of my stack. When you had met me in Chicago, we were talking about Pantheon hosting, how we look at them as part of our integral marketing stack, because without that hosting provider, we wouldn't be able to deploy our data layer on our website as quickly. And this is something our marketing team now leverages uh, to be much, much more effective with their marketing as they're familiar with the hosting account and how all that stuff works. So it is really one of those things that is kind of spread everywhere uh, and can be a little hard and unwieldy to think of. Um, but it is anywhere you have customer data, that data should be used for marketing at some point. And that's really where we start to include all these things in there. But going back to one of the things you had mentioned, hashtag stack apocalypse, um, I think the hardship for people to understand is because you have all of these tools um, that a lot of these tools are integrated together or become, in essence, as we would call the hub of part of your stack. And what happens is, is like the industry is changing, if a company was to go out of business, to get acquired or anything like that, just imagine that you were using Marketo as the primary hub of your, your stack, right? This is how you communicate with your customers. It's how you automate Salesforce. It's how you track them on the website. Well, Marketo was just acquired by Adobe, and Adobe is much larger than Marketo, and uh, Adobe is not necessarily the most well-known for keeping and maintaining their acquisitions. I mean, 75% of all M&A merger and acquisitions fail. So as they start to integrate in Marketo, 
well, what happens to that organization? Well, if Marketo goes down for a day or even two days, your organization that's using it is going to have a stack apocalypse. Your whole stack is going to fall apart. And that's the reason why you really do need to start thinking about what are the tools that we're using? How are we leveraging them? And what happens if that tool was to either go down for a day or get acquired? And as we all probably re remember, not even a month and a half ago, two months ago, Salesforce went down for, I think, 18 hours. And it was because one developer had wrote a bad line of JavaScript. Well, I can tell you this, it happened on a Friday when I was to do my sales operations and I, my entire organization was almost shut down for that day because we couldn't process our customer data out of Salesforce. So really, when you think about all the tools you have, you do want to make sure you have a good inventory of all the marketing ones. Yeah. And shout out to Scott Page over there at Pantheon and all the work that they've been doing. Thank you for that definition. And, and that's a perfect one that I really like to um, highlight. It's the stack is comprised of any tools used to acquire, store, process, and manage your customer data. And if you're watching this episode, uh, there is a video that shows the presentation that Dan is referring to or we're going to be referring to. But it's got a great visual of the sort of the data processing aspect of the stack and some of the key components of that data processing aspect. And I think this is such an integral part of the stack itself, you know, the data and how that data is manipulated, enriched, extracted and pushed to the other aspects of your stack. So why don't we go into that and then we'll kind of use that as the launch pad for the sales automation and processing the data and what you do uh, as far as actionable marketing steps with the data that you've processed with this aspect of the stack. So let's, let's talk about that real quick. Yeah, I think one concept that marketers aren't really familiar with and it's more a developer is familiar with is this concept known as a data pipeline. And the data pipeline is ultimately, uh, just like it sounds, it's a pipe that you basically, it goes in a line, right? And you send data through it. And this is something that is really, really popular for data engineering or even developers because they think about pipelines in that way. But it's now something that the marketing organization really has to become familiar with. And the fact that you need to be able to create a data pipeline where you can send data into it and then it rolls downstream basically into all of your tools. And I'd have to say probably about three or four years ago, this was kind of an unknown concept at all um, and wasn't really connected. But with the proliferation of tools like Segment or MParticle or even MetaRouter with these these things called customer data platforms or customer data infrastructures. Basically, what used to have to happen is you would have to, every single time you wanted to track something on your site, you had to add another JavaScript. So then, then if you wanted to track that somebody signed up, well, you'd have to write in each one of those different types of tools in their own language, their syntax, you'd have to write the sign up event. So as an example, Google Analytics, you'd have to write sign up in their form. If you wanted to track that as a conversion, you'd have to write it in AdWords and as well as in Facebook and then in, in LinkedIn and then even in Pinterest. And then if you wanted to track that event as well, again, that action in your marketing automation tool you had to write it in a totally separate language as well. Those days have changed a lot because now we've created uh, these tools where we send our data to and then they distribute it to other places. And that's where Segment has really been one of the leaders in that space. Um, by no means, I mean, most people have no idea what Segment is um, or even what MParticle is. I mean, I, I just got off a call yesterday with a large company that's doing a CDP study. They'd never even heard of MParticle, even though they were one of the pioneers in the space as well. Um, 
But by leveraging these tools, you can create one single pipe and it makes it much easier to add on tools and as well as integrate it. But the way that we think about ultimately building a stack is a concept, not only the data pipeline, but a concept known as data recycling. And that's the fact of instead of having one sort of truth for all of your data, basically what you're trying to do is mirror your data across as many systems as possible. So that way you can leverage as much data as you can across the entire stack. This would mean instead of just sending Salesforce the information, we also want to make sure the data that's in Salesforce is integrated in with our marketing automation tool, then our marketing automation tool can send that information potentially back down that data pipeline. So that way it also updates our analytics tool. This concept of data recycling is something that's a little bit more modern. Most companies aren't really familiar with it. And you won't really see it on the horizon of most brands for another probably three to five years, just because CDPs, even though they've been out for seven years, eight years now, they're just finally getting mainstream. This stuff does take a little bit of time to hit the main stage. But Going back to it, you have to make sure that you create a consistent data pipeline for your stack to communicate. You also then need to create process in which you can recycle the data throughout your stack to create multiple records of the truth. And then that's ultimately how you build these really, really advanced stacks that can do kind of cool stuff. We'll get to one of the cool things our stack can do later when uh, I give everybody an opportunity to get a free copy of my book and you'll get to test like what our SMS bot is like. And then our SMS bot will do all kinds of cool things that you'll be able to interact with. But we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Thank you. And, and that's great. So we want to make sure everybody's aware of sort of this 21st century stack that you mentioned. So, you know, this, this new world of data enrichment and all the tools that work together really well to produce what is not only accurate data, but is more data than you would ever dream of trying to capture in a funnel and then acting on that data through the key components of the stack that we'll go ahead and mention here in a moment. But um, let's talk real quickly about the data data enrichment layer and where that is today. Yeah, data enrichment is super awesome and super creepy all at the same time. Um, I have to say I'm a huge fan of data enrichment and I'm very happy that I live in the United States of America where we can get away with it because if you're in the UK, enrichment is not the same thing. Um, but there are really cool tools that you can bolt on to your marketing stack. And if you're using a tool like Segment, there's multiple enrichment providers that you can just with the flip of a switch integrate in with your stack. And basically how those things work is if you're using a segment tool or any even just accessing through the API, based upon your uh, phone number, your email, even your first last name, first and last name, including a zip code, what can happen is with limited information, we can ping a third party API, and then it will send us back a payload of all the values it knows about you. So some of the things when we think about a company like Clearbit, which is a commonly used uh, enrichment tool in the B2B SaaS space. Clearbit knows everything about the company that you work for. So it would send back the firmographic data just based on an email. So if I sent Clearbit, Dan at fnamazing.com, it would send back that we are a 20 plus person company. We do over $2 million a year in revenue. Um, we have six job openings out right now. Uh, we'll also be able to tell you all kinds of other information, such as where is our company located. And that's what's called firmographic data. On top of that, not only can it do firmographic, it can do the demographic. So not only does it know that, hey, listen, I'm Dan at fnamazing.com, but I'm Dan McGa. Uh, I've, I've had the company for five years. It can tell you all kinds of facts about me, including my title, uh, where am I living, what are my social profiles. Um, and then depending upon the integration tool or enrichment tool you're using, Experian will tell you what I care about and how much money I even make, which gets really, really creepy. But um, the last one that a lot of people don't know about is, of course, is the technographic information. So with tools like Clearbit, they also will tell you the technologies I use on my site, which is a helpful indicator for me. 
So if you're a company like F and Amazing, we have Autopilot and Segment and Salesforce all installed on our website. And just based upon my email, Clearbit will send that information back to me. I use that for my lead scoring model. I use that for my personalization. And I'm really able to get a ton of information about somebody without ever having to ask them for anything but their email. And Clearbit is just one provider in the space. You have Clearbit, you have Tower Data. Uh, Tower Data bought Rapleaf not long ago, which is more focused on B2C customers uh, in the consumer space. They also know like what you read, what magazines are you ordering, what type of products do you like? Then you have companies that are like Experian, who we all know monitor all of our credit card transactions. So they know the most about us, uh, which can get a little creepy. But you also have some interesting providers like Full Contact, which focus much more on the social space. And then you have some newer players in the space, which we have just found out about. There's a company out there called Buzzboard. And what they do is small business enrichment. So if you're looking for all of the little bakeries that are based in Orlando, Florida, that do between $500,000 and $2 million a year in revenue, They'll surface that insight to you and then also be able to tell you the actual person at the company you should be talking to. So with these enrichment sources, if you basically build them into your stack, you can now use this for personalization, for targeting, segmentation, not only that stuff, but you can also use it for your reporting and analyzation so you can get a better understanding of your customers that do convert compared to don't convert. There's just a lot of really creepy stuff that comes along with that. And I'd have to say the last one that's probably one of the most creepy ones is a tool called Radar. And Radar basically allows you to do all of your geofencing uh, on a mobile app uh, and enable you to do really cool things. So Burger King used Radar in, in tandem with MParticle on their mobile app. So if you were using the Burger King app and you drove within 100 meters of a McDonald's, you would get a push notification saying that you have five minutes to claim your free Whopper at Burger King right now. And this campaign was extremely successful for them. Uh, don't get me wrong, it wasn't necessarily the easiest to get a Whopper within five minutes, but in most cases, there is a Burger King across the street from McDonald's. Um, so these types of technologies are, are able to do all kinds of things and enrich all kinds of stuff. So it's just a really, really fascinating yet sometimes creepy space. Awesome. Yeah. And I do want to talk real quickly about CRM and lead scoring before we get into the front end. And to do this, I'll just have you mention sort of your favorite lead scoring tactic for scoring leads or, or your favorite automation for scoring leads. And just give a quick sort of painted picture for those who are listening. Yeah. And with lead scoring, the, the best thing that you really need to do is one, it needs to be two-sided. One, you need to focus it on what do we know about the person um, and their company and things along those, the things we know about the, uh, the entity, but also what are the actions that that entity is doing? And what we need to do is make sure that we are not only tracking, um, are they the VP? Are they working at a big enough company? Um, do they have the right technologies on their site that would make sense? But at the same time, you need to look at what are the actions this person may take on your site. And this is important because we, we're not always going to be able to know everything about a person. And even though they're an anonymous visitor, we can still build a lead score. So if somebody views the cart, uh, obviously you give them more points. If somebody views a product, you give them more points. If somebody visits uh, the support articles about buying something, of course, you can give them more points. So you really want to make sure you take that stuff into consideration. And one thing that I haven't shared with a lot of people is there's a new type of intent scoring, which is becoming more more and more popular um, as companies are sharing their data. So publishers like Forbes and Insider and Business Insider, they share their traffic data with other companies. And one of the key companies they're doing that with is a company known as Bombora. And what Bombora does is enables an organization to know 
whether an, somebody, uh, some other type of company has intent. So if you're doing research on how to buy marketing technology or research on how to buy a, a CRM and you happen to come across a Business Insider post, well, Bambora will take that information and then send a trigger uh, to their clients, making them aware that you're interested in CRMs. So not only are there now the scores about behavior and as well as the identities, but there's also intent scoring, which is becoming more and more popular. Um, and once again, this goes back to why I'm so happy I live in the United States, because we can actually do that stuff. And in the UK, there's just no way in hell you can get away with it. So uh, just fascinating things you can do with lead scoring. Yeah. So layering data on top of itself and finding new data sources that can give you some more interesting appearances of that customer, drawing in those other APIs, making sure that you have a nice, well-rounded image of what that prospect looks like, providing some sort of automated lead scoring. And you do that internally using autopilot, I saw, and really robust lead scoring setup. I'm sure it wasn't easy to create. So definitely take a pause and check out Dan's lead scoring setup in autopilot. It's pretty cool. Moving on here. So we're sort of out of the, the back end, out of the data capture and processing side of this presentation. And let's talk about the front end. Let's talk about what to do with that data. So let's talk about the front end and how that setup looks. Yeah. I mean, the big thing is, is trying to figure out how do you store customer data, which is going to be valuable towards your customer journey. And at the end of the day, what we always try to make sure that we teach our clients and as well as just people in general is that whoever has the best customer experience is typically the one who wins. And that's because the customer is going to buy from that great customer experience and potentially come back because of that experience. So when we're trying to track all these things that are happening on the website or even from third parties, what we're ultimately trying to do is build a really rich customer data profile about that person so we can then personalize things to them. So with all of these different actions, one, we know what types of pages on the site that somebody has viewed. We know what types of products that somebody has viewed. So if you were to go to oldnavy.com and, of course, uh, look around their site, you might stumble across their shoes page that has different shoes on it or even flip-flops. Well, by storing that information, I'm now able to target my messaging moving forward, knowing that at one point you had an interest in flip-flops or shoes. And I'm able to store that and then deliver uh, certain discounts or promotions to you, which may get you back to actually buy a pair of flip-flops or shoes. And because this is a one-to-one -one match with what that customer had done, this, of course, is going to get you much more likely to engage. And one of the customers that we have here, we work with a brand called realthread.com. They're an online t-shirt printing company. Um, so they print a lot of t-shirts for big companies like Palantir, Dropbox, Amazon. They also print for a lot of the clothing lines as well. Um, but ultimately, they're printing swag shirts, right? Now, when we think about the, the people that they communicate with, there was, there's a couple of different personas, right? You have graphic designers that are coming to the site because they're the ones who actually end up having to design the shirt for the marketing person. You also have apparel designers that come in. And then you also have a lot of times you have CEOs and founders that come to the site. And with each one of those personas, they have a different buying process. They also have different things they care about. And as these people are coming to this site, what we want to do is figure out unique ways to identify which persona they are. And one of the examples that we had uh, talked about in our presentation was with RealThread, when people would come to the site, we get a lot of leads. People are ultimately downloading our resources or giving us their email on the blog. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to send them an email saying, hey, listen, we don't want to spam you with crap content. So just let us know what your role is and we'll make sure to send you content that you care about. And in that email, there's five buttons. They can click on whether they're a business owner, designer, all of those things. And when they click on that, they're taken back to the website. There's some UTMs in the URL so that when they hit the site, it saves that information in the, in the Google Analytics account. But we also get that information in our automation tool. And then we store that as a value on their, their identity in the automation tool and as well as the CRM. 
And what, what makes this so important is that moving forward, instead of me sending them emails, which they don't care about, I can actually make sure that I segment them into the emails they would care about and seg them, segment them out of emails they don't care about. So as an example, as a business owner, I want to know how to be able to print my shirts on a budget. I want to know how to be able to save money when doing it. I want to know how to best price my shirt if maybe I'm in the apparel industry. But the last thing I care about is Pantone colors of the damn shirt. Like as a CEO, I don't care about Pantone. That's what my designer cares about. But an interesting take on that is the fact that a graphic designer, maybe they don't care about Pantone either because that's not the world that they live in. Pantone is specifically a type of ink that's used on fabrics and things in the real world. But if you're working from a computer, you're working in RGB, red, green, blue, or CMYK, which I don't even know what that means. But either way, I know what it is. So by knowing these different personas, we're able to say, hey, you know what? You're a CEO, probably don't want to send you an email talking about how to select the right Pantone from your shirt because I'm just not going to care. I don't even know what a Pantone is. But if I am that apparel designer, I should probably get the Pantone email. I probably shouldn't get the email that talks about how do you maximize profits off of your t-shirt sales just because the designer is less worried about that. And what we've learned is the less email you send people, the more likely you are to get them to open, especially if it's highly targeted. So instead of just spamming all of your users and hoping they all read the email that only 10% of them care about, send less emails to more people, increase your frequency of email sends in general, but just send them to smaller batches of users because you can now truly target it at those people. Yeah, and you do have a call touch point in there as well with CallRail. So shout out to Bridget and CallRail team. I love those guys. And now I want to end this call and end this recording with a full glimpse of kind of where the stack is headed and anything that you want to mention that we didn't already mention. I know we covered the back and the front end and some case studies and obviously what you use and how you use it. But is there any real advice that you would give a SaaS company that is having stack issues? Maybe they're in transition, maybe they're growing too rapidly and they're migrating CRMs, but what is the main piece of advice that Dan would provide any software company that needs to sort of collect and organize their stack? Yeah, and that's a, a really great question. I mean, the big thing, the big bit of advice that we always give companies is that your your marketing experience and your marketing technology is only as cool as the people that you hire to run it. And you need to make sure that you're really hiring good people to run your marketing technology. So don't go hire a branding and communications marketer to run your marketing technology because at the end of the day, it's still technology and it still requires a technical marketer to run it. So ultimately, you need to make sure that you're focused on building really cool shit um, and you need to make sure that you have good people that are going to be there to run it. So if you have somebody who's newer and they need to be trained up, of course, we do offer uh, an online course, which I would love to see people go take uh, to be able to help them out. I also just launched my new book called Build Cool Shit. Um, so definitely would love to see people check that out. If anybody's interested in getting their free copy, all you have to do is text AMAZING to 415-915-9011. And what that was is if you just text the word AMAZING to 415 415- 915-9011. You'll actually interface with our text bot, which will be able to collect all of your information, listen to its exact prompts, do not do more than it asks you to do, just do exactly what it says and it will be a good experience. And then it'll get you set up so that way you can get a free copy of the book. But just to add, uh, probably the second biggest piece of advice that we have to give companies is your taxonomy, also known as your data dictionary or your schema, doesn't matter which version you call it, is the most important thing. And that is ultimately the words at which we're going to call actions and attributes we know about people. That taxonomy 
uh, is the most important part of your marketing technology. Because if you get that part wrong, your stack won't cohesively talk to each other. Nobody will know what anything means. And that taxonomy is going to be really, really important. And it's something that uh, we don't hear enough in the marketplace. We don't hear it. a lot of people talking about taxonomy, but really the backbone of your entire stack and the success of your customer's experience is based upon having a good taxonomy uh, to make sure things that can communicate. Great advice, Dan. And uh, again, I'll just repeat that for anybody who didn't get it because it is very, very cool if you haven't done it yet. But text AMAZING to 415-915-9011. It's all there for you. So check that out. Build cool shit. Text AMAZING to 415-915-9011. Get your copy. Read it. Follow Dan. Tell everyone if you could, Dan, I mean, I have your LinkedIn profile linked in the show notes, of course, but uh, where can they go to find out more about you and, uh, and connect? Yeah, the, the best place to connect with us, of course, is fnamazing.com. You can visit us on our site, check out all the stuff there. I am most active on LinkedIn. So if you just go to LinkedIn and search for the last name Maga, no R in it, M-C-G-A-W, there will probably be like 15 other Dan Magas on there, but you'll be able to find me. I'm the prettiest one of all. Um, and that is probably where I am most active. I don't know why, but I suck at Twitter. Are you any good at Twitter? I don't. I don't tweet. I haven't tweeted in, no, I mean, unless it's automated from one of my <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I put out a, a medium post and it tweets it. But uh, no, from B2B, from software side of things, if you're dealing with software companies, you know, and you're dealing with the teams behind those, those people are too busy to be on Twitter. So I'm not. But Dan, well, you know, thanks for the time. It's been a pleasure. And I am hugely in your debt for this recording. Everybody's going to be excited to get it and to take action on it. So I'll leave it up to everybody else. If you have any questions for Dan, you know, go to F and Amazing, shoot him to him on LinkedIn, connect with him and uh, definitely check out his book again. Any last words, Dan, or we'll talk to you offline. Sounds good, man. Great to have everybody come and talk. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Well, we'll see each other hopefully sooner than later. Later, and I'll chat with you in the meantime online. Thanks so much. Take care.